Hi guys, welcome to the Break the Chain podcast. I'm here today with Louise Ratcliffe. Louise is a friend and a fellow classmate who is training to be a counsellor. She's come on the show today to talk about eating disorders, body image and self-harm. So thank you for joining us today, Thanks Louise. Thanks for having me. I'll just mention at this point that uh, we're studying in New Zealand, but you're also a fellow yellow belly. Um, <laughs> kinda, <laughs> kinda. My um, mother is. <laughs> kind of your mum is uh, but you have lived in Grimsby which is you know that's a pretty serendipitous considering <laughs> that we're in New Zealand which is always amusing to think that somebody knows where uh, Cleethorpes is and they've been to the jug and bottle um, exactly <laughs> yeah so you know a little bit of familiarity um yeah so yeah thank you for coming on the show today Louise and um would you be happy to share your story with yeah, us? Yeah sure um well just focusing on the eating disorder part to start with that kind of started in my teens it was um it was fueled by a combination of um being put on diets or sort of attending diet clubs like like Weight Watchers but it was called something else with my mother bless her um and um and the media at the time was very much about heroin chic, this really like emaciated model thing, Kate Moss. So that was the the imagery that was surrounding me, and that was kind of the the I don't know the the aspirational goal. So I ended up um, developing bulimia. It started with actually it was probably started with eating things that weren't food to fill myself up. So eating things like tissues to fill up my stomach. So I'd read that supermodels did it. And then it ended up with laxative abuse where I would be, I would eat, I would eat to excess and then overdose on laxatives. So you can imagine the, the uh, result of that. So, and I, I think I probably messed up my digestive system doing that. So that was, that was the kind of the, the start of it all. And kind of alongside that, um, Self-harm started, when I think about it, probably when I was about 12 or 13, although I didn't really realise that's what it was at the time because it was quite, um, a go I was a goth, so it was quite a goth thing to carve people's names into your arm. It was a bit weird. And um, so all of that going on in my teens and then um, I went to uni uh, the first time around at the age of uh, 19, 18, 19, and uh, up in Liverpool and um, ended up having a, a serious episode of self-harm where my friends took me to one side and said that I needed professional help, which I actually had listened to them. I was annoyed, but I listened to them. And that's when I went to the doctor and got... Um, got diagnosed with clinical depression and um, started counselling then and also um, started antidepressants. So, but the, the uh, disordered eating carried on throughout my whole life from, from my teens through to, I suppose, till after my third child was born. So I moved over here into New Zealand in 2004 and my third child was born in 2010. And it's only in the last two or three years that I've really kind of dealt with the disordered eating and the relationship with food. Um, so that the dealing with that came about just through years of counselling off and on. Um, and it kind of came to a point where I did a, 
a screening of a movie in New Zealand called Embrace, which is about body positivity. And I started thinking about my own self-image and then joining the the, um, the counselling course as well. That's kind of brought it all to a bit of a to a bit of a head. Um, learning a lot about myself, learning about my own conditions of worth. It's kind of made me really focus in on it a lot. So I'm doing a lot of work on myself at the moment around it. So, so yeah, the, the self-harm probably ended I don't know, when I started getting tattoos, I think, because I replaced it. <laughs> I got tattoos yeah. instead because I thought they were a bit more of a positive way of it, of expressing myself and, uh, and, and dealing with internal pain. And then they became a more of a just generally positive thing anyway. So I got my first one of those when I was 20, 20, was I 20? I can't remember. 23, I think. I remember I was in Indonesia. <laughs> so, yeah, kind of running out of steam. <laughs> so before that, you was, uh, you know, self-harming in ways other than doing tattoos. But you found, yeah, that, you I, found um, that as an outlet to, to deal yeah. with that. Okay. Yeah, basically it was, it was um, when I think about it, the, the self-harm, it was cutting. I cut my arm with a razor blade mm. and it was about... Um, almost like personifying the, the internal pain into external pain to pr be able to process it. So when I kind of realized that this was, this was a damaging thing, when I kind of came to terms with the fact that this is something I didn't want to do anymore, I also recognized that I still needed to deal with that internal pain externally. So I looked for healthier alternatives and, um, it's interesting. I was part of a an online community for um, people with eating disorders back in would have been two thousand and three. Uh, that I carried on while I was over here, and a lot of that was about um, learning to live with your your struggles in a way that was less damaging while you were trying to kind of aim towards recovery, but kind of thinking. I can't just stop. It's not mm. going to work. It's just going to send yeah. me into a spiral. So, yeah, so things like <laughs> bizarre leg waxing. Leg waxing hurts, and uh, but it's also less destructive than cutting yourself with a razor blade. So doing things like that and, and the tattoos as well yeah. became a thing. So. I think my drug addiction was very much the same. You know, I might move from kind of moves from one thing to another, and now it's kind of like it is food for me. Uh, the thing that I struggle to control uh, myself with the most. When, uh, but you know, like if I'm eating a chocolate bar or something, then you know it's not worth giving myself a kick in for it. psychological beating uh, just because you're having a chocolate bar. I mean, it's kind of like you know, it's so so related to that internal thing and that stress, and it's. Um, you know, it always changes. You know, it's um, it's not always it's not yeah. always so bad. Some, and sometimes it does give you. It, you know, it, it, sometimes you do get let more and less stressed. And when you're in a more stressed situation, you eat a chocolate bar. Mm. It's kind of like, you know, well, it's not drugs. You know, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. <laughs> exactly. It's not horse tranquilizer exactly. or cocaine. So you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the thing, yeah, the thing, the thing with food specifically is that. We can't do without it. You can't live without it. You can't give it up. 
So learning to have a, a healthy relationship with it is a really big thing for me. I want to see food as something to enjoy, as something to um, to fuel myself, as, but also, you know, something that sometimes you eat stuff that has no nutritional value because it tastes bloody good and that should be okay too. And it's it's all, like you said, it's all about that that sort of association with this, it's the whole idea of putting good and bad labels on things. It's like there's no such thing as bad food and there's no such thing as good food. It's just food. It's just fuel. And learning to accept that and learning to start listening to your body about what you actually need, what fuel you need, what nutrients you need, starts to point you in the direction of a much more healthy relationship with food, I think. that That's what I had to start doing. I had to stop labeling food as good and bad and stop seeing my behavior around food as good or bad and start listening to myself and listening to my body and and taking you know paying attention to to what my body needed and I think that was also an interesting thing about uh, going through the eating disorder and the self-harm you sort of dissociate yourself from your body in a way you sort of see it as this restrictive thing that you you need to punish or hurt because it's not doing what you want it to do so getting back inside it almost and seeing it as something that needs to be looked after and cherished and taken care of because it houses you and it carries you around the world you know you start thinking oh no I need to take care of myself a bit more and you start developing that healthier relationship towards food and exercise rather than seeing it as punishment for bad behavior it's really it's it's really so, yeah, interesting it's, i know because i know that when it comes to words and what's said the wrong words can send someone into a negative spiral that just changes their life when it comes to i know that anorexia is the most dangerous mental health disorder that there is and 20 percent of people with anorexia literally don't make it um so it is extremely serious and i know that you know, saying the wrong thing can just send someone into a negative spiral so easily when it, when it comes to these things, mm. and 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 I think that the the good and bad, um, the definitions of good and bad are really important because people say good and bad, and then everyone has their own subjective opinions on on what that means, and it's like if someone says, "Oh, that's yeah. good food," and that's bad food, what that means to them is totally different. So when they say good and bad, that could mean it's good because if I eat it, I, I'm a good person and I've done really well. And if it's bad food, I'm not worthy and I'm and I'm useless. That sort of good and bad. And there's good and bad exactly. as in calorie-wise, is that good or bad? You know, it's got this amount of calories, so that's good and that's bad, which might not necessarily mean be linked to health in any way. And then there's good and bad and as good and bad as this is healthy and this is unhealthy. And I think it's, you know, from what you've just said there, moving towards that health spectrum is really important. Mm. The, the difficulty is, is um, the concept of healthy eating has been um, radicalised and become another mm. form of eating disorder. Clean eating has become a yeah. thing. It's known as orthorexia. It's not in the DMV five thing the you know the, the diagnostic mental health thing yet but it's very much and it's more about rather than heading towards health or or whatever it's more about having a healthy relationship with food so that you're not obsessing about it and I think that's the difference between 
having an eating disorder and not having an eating disorder. If you are controlled, if your behavior is controlled by what you eat in any way, shape or form, that's disordered eating. You know, if you eat because it tastes nice or because you're hungry or because you're out with friends and that's what you do and you don't really think about it, you're fine. If you start thinking, should I be eating this? Should I be eating that? Should I, should I be focusing on something else? And it starts to fo- control your behavior, then that starts to become an unhealthy relationship. And that's what I'm trying to get away from is that obsession with food. And I think it's, it's, it's a connection with addiction as well. Cause a lot of people who are diagnosed with things like binge eating disorder are told that they're addicted to food, which is frustrating to me because you, you, it, I, I don't think it's fair to say you can be addicted to something that you need to live. It's like saying you're addicted to breathing, you're addicted to air. It's like, no, that's not helpful for somebody who needs to develop a healthy relationship because it then becomes a, a thing that they constantly feel they have to fight rather than accepting that their body needs food and they're going to fuel their body and they're going to do it in a way that feels good rather than being a battle constantly. Uh, I'm, my my addiction, yeah, it's, it's hard with the you know with it being such a sensitive topic. Mm. But I know that when I, you know, when I was a kid, I was addicted to sugar for sure, mm. absolutely. Like I'd eat four chocolate bars in a row. <laughs> you know, I was just absolutely over the top with how much sugar I ate and sweets and stuff. And no one was really even telling me that there was anything kind of like. No, that's probably not that healthy to mm-hmm. eat four chocolate bars in a row. No one was telling me that. It's just like, well, maybe they were. I don't remember. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was a kid. Whatever. Didn't listen to anyone. So, yeah, maybe they did. But generally not so much. There wasn't a massive awareness around what's actually good for the body. Mm. Um, it's England. I don't think people eat that well. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think they do eat more healthily in New Zealand for sure. Um yeah, and then once then the sugar it kind of transformed. Obviously, that when the drug addiction came about, that was a bit of a shock, I suppose. But it shouldn't have been looking at my behaviour mm. and stuff. And there was an adrenaline and addiction and extreme sports. And then when I got away from the drugs and got totally sober, it, it manifested as binge eating mm. and then trying to exercise and then doing like an hour to two hours in the gym every single day. Mm. Um, and then and then I started eating so much. I got actually the most mentally ill I got was sober because it was kind of like, well, I haven't got the drugs to blame now. It's kind of like, and I started binge eating and I started having to make myself sick to sleep because if I, you know, you just couldn't mm. go down horizontal with a 14-inch pizza and a packet of cookies in mm. your stomach. Mm. Um, so I'd have to make myself, start making myself sick. And I think that that pointed to, um, the the theme was obsession. There was yes. always a, a, a lack of loss, loss of control. And, yeah. uh, I think I think it's the word addiction has negative connotations, mm. but the reality of it being, I had no control, and I was obsessing over whatever it was yeah. to the point where I had no control over yes. myself. And that and I, was definitely yeah, true. and I think that's a definite thing with anorexia as well. It's it's very rarely about the food in and of itself. It's about the control. It's about having control over something in your life when you feel you don't have control for whatever reason, whether that be a a brain chemical thing or an actual thing that's been kind of programmed into you as a child. It's, and I think a lot of people in, um, who are looking at eating disorders from the outside, especially anorexia, don't see the control aspect and they fixate on the food aspect. It's like, this is about giving this person space in their life to have control over their life and have feel like they have a purpose and feel like they have, 
the the ability to to make choices and the only thing that they have control over at the moment is their food intake so that's what they control and yeah it's because this is the thing and the behavior around anorexia and and stuff like that can be quite different from uh bulimia and binge eating but yeah it's, it comes down to control and and fixating on something because you feel like you can't control other stuff in your life and i think looking yeah. back for me it was it was just yeah as a as a child and a teenager i was i felt under pressure to behave a certain way and look a certain way that didn't feel like me so my lack of control uh, fueled by you know the the superficiality of the the media around me ended up being about yeah food because i could control it i could do something with that i could and i could and i could both reward and punish myself for supposed appropriate behaviors you know so yeah it, it's a lot more than just about the food i think so mm. it's when people fixate on the food aspect that it becomes problematic trying to help people because it's you need to look underneath that where's where's this all come from it's come from somewhere yeah, um, yeah added judgment yeah and, uh, and making forcing them to experience greater levels of shame will make it worse Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Shame and, and judgment is the, a big part of it. Externalized, external values, basically. And, and I think the only way to combat it right from the start is to, to raise kids and raise people with internal validation, the ability to validate themselves and not rely on external validation. And that's mm. something I've come to realize doing this counseling course about um, having your own sense of self-worth that is built from from infancy by your family and by your parents that you are inherently a worthy human being and that you know your your worth is not determined by what other people think of you and it's a really difficult one to kind of teach yourself as an adult and to accept as an adult when you haven't had that kind of as you were growing up it was all very external mm. I know that came from a deeply spiritual place for me because I like like where where do you go for worth? It's hard to kind mm. of ha install self worth into yourself. Mm. I think I will go into that a little bit more because I've got I've got a few notes written down on that. I was, there's definitely something that I want to talk about. Sure. Um, <clears throat> one of the thing, yeah, one of the things I think people don't um, I find it hard to under, understand and uh, comprehend is how with with people who have obsessive behavior is that their brain's chemistry has been tipped tipped upside down and set fundamentally when a normal person sees food their brain gives them a hit of dopamine and says like yeah do that that's a good idea and then when and then when a, a, someone with anorexia sees food they actually get cortisol instead mm. um and they're they're literally their, bra their brain's chemistry is literally telling them like that's actually like be scared of that it, cre mm. cre it creates fear in them so yep. it's like you know it's not like um it's like they're, they're in a situation where it's kind of like they cut like it's really really difficult for them to actually um physically on a physical level to actually mm. it, like actually creates them to be scared yeah and um yeah it's like completely reverse Mm. And the whole thing with, with the, the brain chemistry and, and the other aspect of it is that I've been learning about is neurological pathways, that the habits and the the patterns you set up in childhood and while your brain's still developing in adolescence 
are are always there. Those part those neural pathways exist whether you want them to or not. So when you come to realise that those pathways are harmful and you need to do something about it, you have to literally reprogram your brain to override those pathways. So those pathways still exist, those but you just create new ones that you use more and make more um what's the word so they, they become the overriding ones the default but quite often when you get hit with that stress hormone with that cortisol you revert to the old pathways because they're so ingrained they're still there and i think people people struggle to understand that as well that this old bad habit pathway is still there we have to consciously walk away from it every time mentally avoid it all the time it's like you know, a pathway through the forest where it's like that's the pathway that you've always gone down, but you know it's really dangerous and you shouldn't do it, so you try and avoid it. But every time you have to cut a whole new track <laughs> with mm. a with a machete and keep keep chopping it every week. So I think that's another thing that people who haven't had to fight their own brain over stuff like this really find it very difficult to understand why it is so difficult for someone to get away from that negative behaviour. It's it really just, is a yeah. case of being, you know, locked locked away with your own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, the, exactly. the, the worst enemy is not an external thing. It's, you know, it's, in, it's in, unfortunately we're carrying it around with us. So it's a case of uh, having to make friends with that person that we carry around inside our head all the time, and it's uh, mm-hmm. it's not an it's not an easy thing to do. I had a, had a couple mm. of thoughts relating to um, these things, and I know that it kind of crosses over from the world of addiction, being a drug addict. Uh, this, that's the the kind of the authority I'm speaking from, um, and, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it, it does uh, transfer across. But you know, one of the biggest things and the most frustrating things is, as you say, trying to con- be what you can be in control of, and we're so desperately trying to control the external uh, and other people. Mm-hmm. And um, yep. with with addiction and getting over addiction, if you want to have any peace ever, you need there needs to be an acceptance of uh, things change. And, and they guarantee, things are guaranteed to change. So not trying to control uh, external things yep. and when they change, accepting that they do. And, yeah, maybe do something yep. about it, but there's a, 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 an acceptance of things changing around us. And, For you know, sure. and when things get bad, knowing that it's temporary, good and mm. bad, all, all varieties of good and bad are temporary things. And yep. that they're passing by, and you know when when those old neural pathways are firing up, and it's trying to make us go for the, you know, the old destructive behaviour. Being like, look, I just need to, I need to be patient here and try and ride this one out because it's gonna pass. It's gonna exactly. pass. So I need to just hang in there, and it might be, it might be close to impossibly hard, but you know, if I just hang on a little bit longer, it will get easier. Exactly. Yeah, and that that idea of of this too shall pass. That's. That's something that I I really do live by, and I I discovered it in two ways. It was my dad's my dad's always been um, uh, a sort of follower of of Buddhism, sort of kind of a little mm. bit. So I learned a little bit about it through him, and then when I did some counselling um, with a psychologist a few years ago, and I had cognitive behavioural therapy, she taught me about mindfulness and the idea of. Um, allowing yourself to have the feelings but not letting them rule you so aware being aware that something is distressing for you and you're allowed to feel distress about that thing but 
knowing that that distress doesn't have to control you and learning like sort of basic like meditation techniques to observe the feeling and let it go and yeah it takes some actual work to do that and and the concept of buddhism the four noble truths about all life is suffering and the cause of suffering is wanting and the idea being that yeah you can't control other people you can only control how you react to what's going on in the world around you and it does it does take considerable fortitude to let go of that need to control everything around you <laughs> especially when you've been in a situation where you felt out of control like an addictive situation or a mental mental illness situation and um i think uh the thing that got me was um specifically was a, a video by carl sagan uh called well as a it was a an excerpt from his book, Pale Blue Dot, that was put into a video of a picture of the Earth taken from space, where the Earth is literally a tiny pale blue dot floating in a, a sunbeam. And it talks about how everything on that planet is everything we've ever known. And it, gave, it kind of gave me a real sense of perspective, like, wow, we are really very tiny and very insignificant so why am I fixating and stressing about all this stuff around me when I could just be enjoying it? You know, I, I really got that sense of why am I getting so caught up in the things that I can't do anything about? This is bonkers. The world is a miracle and we are miraculously appearing on it. It's a miracle that I even exist in the first place. Yay, science. So <laughs> why not enjoy it while I'm here? And I think that kind of gave me the 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 impetus to to make that change, to go, you know what? Shit happens and that's okay and I'll be able to deal with it, you know. <laughs> and other people's problems are not my problems. They don't have to cause me pain. I can help people, I can choose not to help people, whatever. But yeah, it, it it takes it takes some kind of perspective to to make you think I'm not going to let this tiny insignificant rubbish control me anymore. It's amazing how attached we can get to little things, and we just get so frustrated. And you know, in reality, if you think like in a week, am I going to care about this? And the answer is no. Exactly. But it's like you know, <laughs> you just get so attached to these little things, or your ego takes a hit, and you just want to. You just want to lose it over something. And I mean, freedom, like we, everybody has this desire to be free, but, mm. but, but people have a very, very um, poor understanding of what freedom really is. But most people think yeah. freedom is, I want to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. That's what people <laughs> think freedom is, but that's not freedom yeah. because people don't understand that when our senses tell us to do something, we're the ones who are perceiving the senses. We're not the senses. We have the, we have yeah. we have eyes, ears, nose, mouth. Touch. We have these things. They're like you know sensors. And then when the sensor goes off, or the smell says this, or the eyes say that, the ears say I'll go listen to this, or the genitals say go and do that. If you're forced to do that, then you're not actually doing what you want to do because you're just doing what your senses are telling you to do. So that's not actually freedom. Yeah. Real freedom is saying, okay, my my tongue, you know, you, like just say you're driving along the road and then you see the big golden arches and you're like, oh, God, I want to go to McDonald's. And if you have to pull in there and go there, that's not freedom. You, but if you, Because most people are thinking, oh, I want a McDonald's. They're like, no, McDonald's want you to have a burger 
actually. Mm. <laughs> and you, you've just mm. fallen for the advertising <laughs> and you're being manipulated by <laughs> advertising. You don't want a burger. You think you want a burger because you've seen a big golden set of arches. In reality, freedom is saying, acknowledging, okay, my, my, my tongue wants a burger, but is that actually what I, should, I want to do? Is that really what I want to do? Yeah. Is that really what's in my interest? That, that's freedom. Yeah, and that, that's yeah, and that's really interesting because that kind of ties into the the aspect of intuitive eating that I've been trying to follow. And I read a book called The Fuck It Diet by Caroline Duna at the beginning of last year, which is all about getting away from diet culture, getting away from that um, idea where you have to eat a certain way and, and the, the values placed on food and what have you. And the technique she she teaches you is the first thing to do is to allow yourself to eat because one of the things about eating disorders is it's about restriction and it, mental restriction is just as bad as actual restriction so telling yourself you're not allowed something creates the same um, brain chemistry and body reaction as physically starving yourself so your body goes into panic mode thinking you're not going to get any food and then you start laying down more fat your metabolism slows down so it is counterintuitive to any kind of like weight loss program because your body your body wants to live so your body's going to do everything it can to conserve calories so by by saying to yourself i can eat whatever i want whenever i want and letting yourself do that is the first half of it and interestingly when i did that and it says in the book that quite often you'll feel out of control to start with and you do go a bit mad. And I did. For the first three months, I was just like KFC and junk and just like, I can eat this whenever I want. So I did. And then eventually I got to the point where my body had finally accepted that I wasn't going to say no to it. And it stopped wanting those things. It was a really odd moment where I had a moment like that. I was driving past KFC thinking, oh, I normally pop in here for a for a you know a piece of chicken because that's kind of what I was doing I thought about it I thought I don't actually want that I don't feel like that actually when I think about it and I listen to my body that's not what I want so I, I drove past and it was a really odd little moment where I thought I can have this if I want to I'm allowed but I don't actually want it and it was that learning to teaching my body to trust me that I was going to feed it basically. So it didn't panic and go into starvation, you know, shutdown mode. And also then once I taught it that listening to what it actually wanted and feeding it that. And then I started really enjoying food and enjoying cooking and feeling physically good when I was eating like it made me feel better because I was getting the nutrients that my body obviously needed and it was almost like it was almost like pregnancy cravings again where I wanted stuff that I would never normally think about like I suddenly would wake up and go I need a Greek salad <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I go and have something really random for breakfast because that's what I wanted to eat but I've physically felt significantly healthier and better for it because my body's getting the nutrients that it needs because I'm listening to it, mm. you know, and I'm also saying I can eat whatever I want. I'm not restricted. So my body's not panicking and trying to make me eat high calorie nutrient poor rubbish because it's once, because it's in starvation mode. And it's a really odd, it's an odd feeling when you get that, when you get, to, and that I feel like is freedom. That's, that's getting towards the whole freedom from food, food obsession. 
is is that and and i was i was worried to start with that oh my god i'm just going to eat shit for the rest of my life this is terrible but the book had said this, this is what will happen and it might take you three months it might take you six months it might take you a year but you keep it up and keep doing the other stuff in the book about understanding your triggers and understanding and developing that self of sense that sense of self-worth you get what? through it and it was it was a it was an What's interesting the book moment called? It's called the Fuck It the Diet, fuck it diet <laughs> by right. Caroline Duna. Yeah, the Fuck It Diet by Caroline Duna. She has a, an Instagram as well. That's great. <laughs> and yeah, the whole point of it is to get away from diet culture because if you think about it, the diet, um, the diet industry is designed to to make people fail in their dieting, in their weight loss journeys, because otherwise it wouldn't make any money. Weight Watchers wouldn't make any money if people were successful at Weight Watchers because they wouldn't keep going back. <laughs> you know, if dieting worked, nobody would be fat because everyone would just go on a diet and that would be it and it would and it would work. So the whole industry is, is just capitalism personified, is reliant on people failing and coming back to, to purchase a new a new thing, a new fad, a new diet. You know, it was a cabbage soup diet in the seventies, it was the Atkins diet in the nineties, it's now it's now it's the keto diet and paleo and you know, quite often some of these things start out as actual medical diets, like the keto diet was originally created for people with epilepsy because it does have an effect on seizures and people latched onto it as this new fad that would make you lose weight. I think, yeah. you, I think you know, so people bullshit. think that they can buy and get an out-of-the-box diet, you know, and it's going to do it's going to do what they think it's going to do and it's just, you know, it's not because everyone's so <laughs> unbelievably different. It's not just that everybody's different, it's yeah. that, that you, your body changes all the time as well. <sighs> exactly, that's it. And, an, and another aspect of, of the whole diet industry is the, the, the shame put on people for looking a way that is considered incorrect by the media. I mean, like I said, the, the, the look that was the thing when I was a teenager was waif thin models twiggy did you say like, heroin chic is that is that the heroin chic yeah if you if you google heroin chic you'll get a whole load of 90s models and that was it was criticized at the time but that was the thing that was the, the look that people went for it was just completely <laughs> messed up looked like yeah exactly literally that <laughs> and it's completely bonkers when you look back at it but you know this is what was surrounding me this was on billboards this mm. was in magazines this is what people aspired to it was nonsense and yet now it's all big boobs big bum something that i would have been horrified in fact i probably had as a teenager and was horrified by you know it's completely arbitrary what you're supposed to look like so that whole that whole external validation thing comes into play again where when you're looking for people to to validate you based on an external factor how you look what shape your body is it's never going to measure up. You know, you're never going to be satisfied because someone is always going to dislike it or find it unattractive for whatever reason, or it's not going to be whatever's fashionable. So learning about your own self-worth and looking at what you are doing and who you are as a person and learning about self-validation, like kind of helps you get away from that. But, you know, it's, it's very powerful that external external um physical validation that you get from well, it's, it's it's kind of the the mcdonald's thing all over again it's kind of like you know the that's the billboards are all telling you this that's what 
fashion's telling you, trends are telling you, it's like, okay, so this this week you have to be wafer thin, next week you need to have a big bum, and it's kind of like, oh God, well, you know, how am I going to keep up with this? How am I going to make everybody like me by following exactly. all these things? It's like actually you're just buying into all this stuff that in reality that someone's just trying to make loads of money out of you. It's all, it's all about money, it's all economically exactly. driven, and, and it's, um, you know, and yeah. these things are, it is actually insanity because people think that's what's right and what's lovable and in, in reality that just constantly changes and you know if you if you're patient your, exactly. your you know your shape and size might come into fashion at some point because it is it's it's crazy how it can just change <laughs> yeah exactly and and at the end of the day what i want to get away from is is that external thing mattering you know i want to get away from that you know that whole physical attractiveness being based purely on whatever meat suit you're floating about in it just seems completely bonkers and I'm still I'm still very governed by it I'm still very aware of how I look to other people and I have to consciously talk to myself and go calm down okay (laughs) you're you're a good person and you are doing good things and whether or not your genes do up properly today is not of any mm. importance <laughs> you know my you know my uh you know so i still i still still yeah. battle it <laughs> you know my you know my stance on the whole thing and it's that you you know you oh know, yeah the whole you're weird not, you're the I'm spirit floating body. about inside the, the body asked me i am the spirit i am mm. not this body i'm not this mind i have a body and i have a mind <laughs> and you know and you know whilst i'm whilst i'm in it I've, yeah i'm my my duty my duty is to take care of it. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm the caretaker mm. of not just my body, but all things. That's re- that's that relationship yes. that I should have with all these things as it should be mm. like, I should be taking care of these things. And, you know, as soon mm. as I started to adopt this, you know, even when you just think about caretaker, it's just such a gentle, mm. soft, warm feeling to it mm. it's like okay so how do i take care mm. of these things and it, it's like my relationship with everything mm. changed like my stuff stopped falling to pieces you know like oh my my cars just used to fall to pieces the bump would fall off and then it just this would <laughs> blow up and you know and, and everything would be tatty and everything would be beaten up and dropped and as soon as you start as soon as i started being a caretaker things changed and things got you know and 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 mm. yeah don't get me wrong like eating and my diet and stuff still hard when I'm stressed. But I don't beat myself up anymore because I don't, mm. you know, because it doesn't help. It doesn't help to be beating myself. My self-worth yes. isn't dependent on 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 my body or my mind or mm. anything. Or what I do is nothing to do with my self-worth. It, it's, a in, it's an intrinsic, mm. absolute thing. I know that I am worthy. And, and this is one of the things with self-worth. People throw this out there. But it's another one of those things like good and bad. It needs defining. It's like defining. It's like, what do you mean by self-worth? Worthy of what? What are we looking mm. for? Mm. Mm, exactly, yeah. I think personally, um, if I'm realistic, I'm looking for... Um, <sighs> I want to make the world a nicer place in which to live. I think that's what I, when I really kind of boil it down to the essentials, like I want, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to make the world a nicer place. If that just means the two square meters around me 
a nice place to be because I'm a nice person. That's good too. If I make a difference to climate change, that's good too. But it's about doing the little things that make me feel I like living here in this body, in this time, in this space. So therefore that kind of then projects outwards. And it, and it used to be very much, I want people to like me. And I've, I'm slowly getting away from that concept of wanting people to like me and thinking, no, I want to make, I want to feel good about being, about existing. And that just is something that I do. And I think the trouble a lot of people have, and it comes to self-worth and self-care, is a lot of people feel that that is a selfish act and therefore inherently bad. And at the end of the day, being selfish isn't necessarily a bad thing because it's a classic cliche, you put your own oxygen mask on first. You've got to take care of yourself physically and mentally before mm. you can do anything else because if you're falling to pieces, there's you can't do anything. You can't take care of the world around you. You can't take care of your stuff. You can't take care of your environment. You can't take care of your family and your friends. And that's something that I had to to slowly learn over years of, of um, counselling, that in order to be the best version of myself, be the my favourite version of myself, I have to take care of myself. And if other people see that as selfish, then that becomes a them problem, not a me problem. Unless I am deliberately setting out to hurt people, then what I'm doing is not bad, you know, and that that's, but a lot of people just are raised with the idea that you don't put yourself first because that's, that's selfish and that's bad. So I think it's, it's really hard to deprogram yourself from that as well and think, well, no, that in order to be a caretaker, I have to take care of me first. It's, it's, it depends how you look at it, doesn't it? Cause I know, I know that in that, in through that lens, it is self focused. Mm. but through the yoga lens it's not because it's like you know because the body and the mind aren't you they're things that you have you looking after them is not selfish it's it's so it's you serving the body and the mind it's you taking mm. care of them it's you taking yeah. care because selfish behavior in my from my like this this uh, this overwhelming obsessive selfish behavior usually destroys the body mm. it's it's this, it's no I'm, I'm gonna you know i'm just gonna go out and do drugs and i'm gonna just let rip and i'm gonna you know just destroy the place you know this is mm. this more kind of dark behavior i guess this this um in the in yoga it would be classed as uh the mode of ignorance the mode of darkness it's where it's like there's mm. three modes there's ignorance passion and goodness and it's kind of like the the lower level is that this kind of uh, activity that just makes that makes things fall to pieces, basically. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're, still, you're talking all the things that you were talking about that were linked to worth. Um, everything you said, you know, like wanting people to like me, and um, I can't remember everything that you said now, but they all point towards the reality of what every single person wants. There's only one thing that everybody actually wants. And mm. when, when, when there's self-worth is all related to the same thing. It's like, mm. am I worthy of love? Mm. Yeah. That's the only thing. Any, and when people talk about worth, whether it's, they want people to like them, they want people to respect them. They want people to fear them. What, no matter what it is in reality, underneath all of that is the, the desire to be loved. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we become hard-hearted is because we haven't been loved. 
or we're mm, scared to be absolutely. loved. We're scared to be loved yep. and lose it again. So love is the only thing that we're actually looking for and, and that our desire to, to actually take care of people and all those things is all coming from the desire to love and be loved. That's the mm, only thing that anybody yeah. wants. So when people are talking about self-worth, I think that they need to know that that's really what, I think we need to know that's what we need for a start and mm-hmm. we need to know what love looks like. Yep. And, you know, and it's like you say, yeah, we need to put the oxygen mask on first, for sure, <laughs> you know, else, <laughs> you know, it's like a kid can't do it. Sometimes if mm. you're, if it, you know, there's two of you and there isn't much food, maybe you feed the kid first because that's what love does. Mm. But it's love's not an absolute rule. Love's asking yourself in any mm. moment what's the right thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's very individual and very of the moment. And I think, I think humans are inherently social beings. And I think a lot of people resist that and, um, feel like they ought to be able to do this by themselves and they ought Mm -hmm. to be able to love themselves and they ought to be able to be completely independent of other people, which is, which is nonsense. Human beings are not evolved that way. We never have, or we never will be. And I think accepting that, but also accepting love in various different forms. Like you said, it doesn't have to be romantic love. It can be platonic. It can be the care of a pet. It can be, expressing your love for somebody else it's all kind of connected and and being open to it and being accepting of this is what I'm looking for without feeling that it's some sort of weakness or failure is a big step on the journey as well I think a lot of people are told that they need to be independent they need to harden up and it's like no to be nice to each other it's another thing that we're buying into it's another thing that's economically driven um individualism you know you can dream it you can be it um, you can follow your dreams you can be whatever you want to be just be selfish buy all this stuff be individual dress yourself up like this buy this you need that and it's all the same it's all these Mm. external things telling us that we should be like that but i love them the maori worldview the maori way of looking at it and the maori models of well-being the four pillars literally and it's something that i found to be kind of like really like shit that is important isn't it you know meant physical mental spiritual and social social well-being mm. what's that i've never heard of that yes you know it's like exactly right mm-hmm. so if i'm at home avoiding everyone and can't read my messages because i'm too anxious that's a bad thing Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or you suddenly think, um, oh, you know, I haven't seen people for a while. I'm going to go and hang out with a mate. And you come home and you think, that was amazing. I had a really nice time. And all we did was sit around and watch movies and eat snacks. Mm. And it was just being in the company of somebody else that you like and being sociable, like you said, being social, doing something that's just hanging out with people. And it becomes increasingly difficult with the, yeah, like it's an all economically driven. We've all got to work. We've all got to pay the bills. So um, I, I don't underestimate the power of social media for that. And I know it can be damaging for some people. I recognise it can be problematic. But personally, I've found a lot of social um, well-being has been built through meeting people online who are um, who have things in common with mm. me. Like there was a, a particular website called Ravelry that was all for um, 
it was aimed at people doing knitting and crochet and fiber arts. And I met some people through there who live literally across the world from one side of America to the other and Korea and Germany and Australia and everything. And we all have this commonality, this common um, hobby of fiber arts. And I've, I have friends from that website who I've been friends with for longer than half the friends in New Zealand. Mm. <laughs> I've just known them for so long. I've never met them in real life in meat space. I've never, probably never will, but those are, those are, those relationships are just as important as the ones I have with my, with my female friends around in the Hamilton ladies club or my, you know, the, the, the parents of the kids at school. So I think that's another aspect that people kind of under underestimate as being important when it comes to social well-being is that there are many ways to get social well-being and it's about accepting that and using it to the best the best of its ability really it's been really important with my recovery journey i've got so many friends i mean like finding people who are sober from drugs and alcohol and understand what it's like to have been an addict you know, and been in recovery mm. for whatever. It's hard to find these people. It's not that easy, you know, because for one, mm. they kind of keep themselves to themselves a bit. They don't, not they're not going to be down the pub, uh, and you know, and where do they hang out <laughs> unless you go to an AA meeting yeah, exactly. or meetings or, or some kind of recovery meetings, which for most of the world aren't even possible right now. It's all online, and mm. I didn't like when I actually went started searching for these things on Instagram. Recovery sobriety, you know, you could do it for eating disorders, for all these things. There's just a, just thousands and hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of these accounts, and I have met some really mm. cool people. I didn't always use social media like that, <laughs> so mm. it's like you know, yeah. it's how it's how oh, are you yeah. going to use it and staying in contact with my family from the other side of the world. That that would have mm. been yeah really challenging without social media. Exactly. I mean, that's that's where my social media kind of life started. It was keeping in touch with the family overseas. And it started before Facebook was a thing where I'd had an online blog where I just post stuff that I was doing and the kids were doing and a photo, online photo album that I shared with my mum and dad. So it all kind of started from there. But yeah, it's all about, like you said, it's all about how you use it. And the nature of social media is that in order to get the best out of it, I think you have to use it very consciously mm. and consciously look for for specific things that are um, going to enhance your life. And that means stepping out of your bubble as well, I think. It means um, not living in an echo chamber. And that is that has to be something because because of the way the algorithms all work, they give you the stuff that you want to see. You have to consciously decide I want to understand more about X, Y, Z and look for it. Like, and and yeah, looking for people who are in a similar situation to yourself as well, looking for that. So yeah. I think if you use properly, social media can be very helpful. But if you just kind of float alongside it and let the algorithm do the work, it can be quite problematic. You have to watch out for the golden arches and the... And, you know, and God knows what else they're trying, they're well, trying the to sell you on there. Because it is, you know, anything that's free is trying to manipulate you. Yep. That's why it's free. They're Absolutely. trying to exploit your data so that they can make you do stuff. You know, like, po you know, Pokemon exactly. Go, that was like a, that was like a massive experiment to see if they could move people around where they wanted them to go. So they've got this thing and it's telling them, go here, go there. And then they take them outside a store that they know that they like. 
to see if they buy stuff and then they're reading yeah. what, you know they're measuring whether they're buying stuff everything's on digital we've got paypal on phones cards like it's just like it's literally walking you to the shop to buy something it's crazy it's uh, it's being <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know that is kind of ominous isn't it um but at the same time yeah, there's it is the, you... need, yeah the need to be conscious of those things also with social media knowing like this is fake <laughs> like what what everyone's presented yeah you know i mean you just don't yeah. put the worst picture in the world on facebook do you you just you just don't do that <laughs> As one of the reasons I consciously do quite often put shit up on Facebook that other people go, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that out loud, because I made a decision that that my social media was going to be much more of a realistic reflection of life because of that, because so many people, it's you get everyone else's highlight reel while you're living the director's cut, basically. And so I've always made a conscious effort to put stuff out there. I mean, I avoid... I avoid things that could cause other people pain and distress. Basically, I don't want to start start family wars and shit. But I will be honest about my own struggles, mm. and I have, and I did that before social media. I did that with my blog as well, because I wanted other people to know that they weren't alone, they weren't struggling. And I remember, I remember having one thing where I just had my third child. And he was three days old and I had a massive weird panic attack that he was going to grow up and be a drug dealer and go to prison. <laughs> and I was absolutely, and I, and half of me was going, I know this is nonsense. This is the brain hormone chemistry bollocks talking. And the other half of me was going, no, my baby's going to go to prison. How, how, old, was, how old was so, he at this point? He was three, three, days, oh, three days old, three days, three days old. I know it's completely bonkers, but um, I posted about it on my blog at the time. You know all the ridiculous panics that you have as a as a new mother with all those hormones and chemist chemicals are flooding your system, and you're just hyper vigilant, and it's just bonkers. And I thought I'll just put it out there, partly to get it out of my own head, so I'm not obsessing over it, but also I bet there's somebody else out there thinking this too, and I know that being around other parents who were struggling had helped me. And I remember one of my friends messaging me privately after that and saying, oh, my God, I thought I was going mad. Thank you so much for posting that. I didn't. I thought it was just me. And that, that's what made me go, yeah, this, this is the right thing for me to do mm. with my social media is to put it out there so that if one other person looks at it and goes, oh, thank mm. God, it's not just me, I'm okay. It, that's, that's my job's yeah. done. And it, it, I've done the same with the, with my my eating disorder and my self harm and all that kind of stuff. I've put it all out there so that if one other person gets to feel a bit better about themselves, gets to get the help that they need, or gets to go, ah, oh, okay, I'm not a terrible human being. I'm just ah, oh, I'm just struggling. Then yeah, and I think that's what led me down the path to becoming a counsellor as well. That whole need to to help people know that they're not on their own. They they've got someone else to to help them through this and it comes back down to that social thing as well the human the human beings want needing to be sociable needing to have other people around them it's like yeah we all need friends we all need people around us and that's okay <laughs> you know, it's yeah. okay to to want friends and to want to hang out with people you don't have to be on your own that whole individualism is toxic and dangerous yeah i agree there was, there was one thought that I had um, f from you sharing your story before, and that was that the whole 
your your eating disorder actually came about from being taken to Slimming Club. It was, I think that's where I can pinpoint a lot of it starting, yeah. I was, um, I went along to, um, it was called Slimming Magazine Club and I went with my mum and I can't remember how or why we decided to go. I can't remember the beginning, but I do remember standing in the line to be weighed because that's what they did. They would weigh you every week and congratulate you if you lost weight. <laughs> and being angry that I was there and feeling that I'd had to be there and getting grumpy at my mum. So like, I'm only here because you make me be here. And I think that's where that sense of worth, that sense of self-worth had come from that, that, what did, what do we call it? That, um, condition of value, condition of worth, sorry. The condition of worth that I had on myself was that I am a good person if I am thin. <laughs> and it's a, just a, mm. such a toxic condition of worth to put on somebody. And I'm, I'm sure at the time it was, as a parent now, I, I see that my parents were doing what they thought was right at the time and they it was all done with the best of intentions. It was never malicious. It was always just, it was either projecting their own insecurities onto me or it was just doing what they thought was right. And I realise that now and I know I'm going to do things that I think are right with my kids and I'm going to mess up and that's just kind of part and parcel of being a parent. So, But I think it, it was such a significant mental development stage in my life and I was going through a lot of kind of teen um angst of you know wanting to fit in that all teenagers go through wanting to fit in wanting to be with the popular crowd but also wanting to be expressing myself as an individual and the the incongruence of those two things I wanted to be popular and be part of the cool kids but I also wanted to be an individual and they didn't marry up mm. you know? i don't think that we don't realize that we're not an individual <laughs> i think we think we are we don't realize how we are conditioned by all these things and, and you exactly know, and, yeah. And, and, yeah and so all of that all of that sort of mental anguish was going on and then this added thing was kind of put into it this condition of worth was put into it that all of these things that you want all of these things that you feel will make you worthy of love like you're saying are are attached to this thing that you can now have control over. And that's where it kind of came about, that if I controlled this, everything else would fall into place. Yeah. And it's just bonkers when I look back, but look back now with 2020 vision hindsight, and I can see it now, but at the time I'm in the middle of it, you know, and I thought any kind of failure on my part to control that food intake meant that I was a bad person and I was not worthy of anything. That's where it all, that's where it all became like disordered eating. It's all, all tied, tied to each other. And it was, you know, fueled by other people, not just my family, but other people in society making comments like, should you be eating that? Or, or like moment on the lips, lifetime on the hips, that kind of thing. All those stupid little comments that people say that are just throw away when you're 14, 15 and obsessing about, how you look those things stick around yeah one of the things i you, you sent me a few things to look through uh in preparation to the interview and you know one of the things mm. that's really like you know like almost every single time is when people achieve their goal 
weight or look or image or whatever, they're totally unhappy, totally miserable. Mm-hmm. And because, I mean, one mm-hmm. of the problems is like to, to achieve this look that, that you want to achieve, you have to spend a ridiculous amount of time in a gym and a ridiculous amount of energy controlling what you eat and you lose your social life, you'll lose your friends, you'll be frustrated yeah. constantly. And then you achieve this look and then you've got it and then you're totally dependent on this prison that you've built yourself of spending all this time eating this way. It's and just literally just for the satisfaction of people believing that people think you look nice. Mm. I know mm. it's it's completely insane when we look at it like that. I mean, I recall vividly my poor husband when I was um, sort of obsessing over food. When I think it was when my it was was it before we had kids or after? It was it was, it was the the height of my kind of trying every possible diet in my twenties. And he said, "I can't be spontaneous. I can't spontaneously take you out for dinner because you panic about what you're going to eat." And I, and and I I remember that very vividly because he was absolutely right. I couldn't do anything spontaneous around food. I had to plan for it. I had to calculate it. And I had to either allow for the time that I would spend in the bathroom afterwards dealing with the the effects of laxative abuse or I would have to punish myself with some grueling gym workout or whatever it was I was going to do to deal with it or I would have to sit in a restaurant agonizing over the menu with a calculator figuring out how many calories are in things. And it's just horrible it's horrible that that was so obvious that my poor husband couldn't even just have a nice romantic dinner with me Mm. because because of the anxiety it caused and um and the movie that was mentioned earlier the embrace movie the the lady who did that i think her name is tara brumford she said that she was a bodybuilder and um she got you know this this ideal perfect body and she said it took over her whole life her whole life everything she did was focused around maintaining this specific physique and she was unhappy she was miserable because she didn't have time for life because she was focusing on this all the time she was either exercising or counting calories or whatever it was focusing on what meal she could eat that day and yeah and it, and it just so she just decided to stop stop doing it and put all her energy back into living yeah it's hard to care about anybody it, else when you have to do that exactly yeah and 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 it, and it fuels itself in this whole awful cycle of i need to do this to be worthy of love but I'm being selfish because I'm fixating on this stuff and not looking after anybody else. Therefore, I'm a bad person. I'm not worthy of love. So I need to be worthy of love. So I've got to make myself look different. And it just goes round and round and round. And you've got to get out of that and think, no, I'm I'm worthy of love because I exist, because I'm here. And teaching yourself that every human being is worthy of love and, and care because we're here <laughs> i think it's that everybody is loved it's not yeah. that you're worthy it's like no actually you are loved mm. you are loved and people don't realize that and that's why we we suffer so much because yes. we don't realize that we are already loved and we don't have to put ourselves through all this stuff trying to trying to find it and i think that's one of the things with self-love and actually experience happiness and peacefulness and as you said earlier when you want something you suffer Suffering Mm. is from wanting something. Mm. And if you want self-worth, you'll never have it. Mm. Mm. You need to realize that you are already loved. Mm. And then, and then the question of 
self-worth goes out of the window. It's kind mm. of like with those articles you sent me on body neutrality. Mm. It's like, it, it's not you. And I think having a positive or negative perception of the body is both bad. And it's the same with the bodybuilding thing or the, you know, the obsession. It's like if you are in one, stuck in one of these obsessive states, body-focused, or even or any of these self-focuses, your psychogeography is about one meter mm. in diameter, mm. and that's how big your world is, and you're stuck in that cage. Yeah. And we need to do what you know when you're talking about the little pinprick on the Earth looking from space. <laughs> we need to really zoom out because yeah, there's that's that's the if we're stuck in a meter square, we're going to be extremely anxious. So it's a little box that we've shot ourselves in. And when you mm-hmm. zoom out and extend your care, that love that we're capable of giving out mm. on a bigger scale, even if it's a family, community, nation, the world, whatever we can do, then it's just, um, you know, and, and start doing more esteemable things rather than focusing on self-esteem, mm. doing esteemable acts instead of wanting esteem, self-esteem. Mm. And, and life's a lot easier (laughs) and it's happier (laughs) and it's happier and it's peaceful and it's purposeful and yeah yeah and i think people people need to look at what makes them feel good about themselves you know and and focus on doing things along those lines about well what makes you feel like ah this is this is a good day to be alive and most of the time those things are fairly simple like oh no i feel good if i just sit outside and watch the sunrise for five minutes instead of rushing off to to fill in the next 10 hours in a cubicle office in an office working you know just little little things and start starting small finding things that just make you feel good and working from there and then that kind of comes out of you into like you said into expressing that love that feeling good comes out as your love for other people and the and the community and what have you and it, and it kind of spreads that way but like you said, it's, it comes back down to taking care of yourself and showing yourself that love and being and and the whole thing with body neutrality is all about accepting yourself so accepting that there are days where you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and go oh and that's okay you know I'm still here I'm still alive I'm going to fuel myself and I'm going to get on with my day and and you're not a bad person for having a day where you don't like what you see in the mirror that's okay too so and if the the purpose of body neutrality is to get to a point where um yeah you don't feel that your body is good or bad it just is and that's the idea. And I think I like I like that idea rather than the whole love yourself movement because it's a lot more realistic and achievable to just accept that you you are, you exist, and that that's just kind of how it is. Yeah. The love the love yourself movement is very self focused and it's about it's very much driven by the desire for self worth. And it's mm, that thing mm. where in reality if you're chasing it you can't have it unfortunately mm, yeah. and and i think you know what the people who do really do come to that piece are the ones who've kind of like not got themselves under the spotlight under the magnifying glass because if you put yourself under yeah. a magnifying glass you're going to find some problems 
Exactly, yeah. And I think also it inherently means that if you don't love yourself, you're failing, which is just just as problematic. <laughs> and, and I think um, that because that's the one thing I was looking at about the whole, oh, love yourself. No, I love every bump. And it's like, no, I don't have to. I can just accept that it exists and not think about it either way mm. and focus on the things that are important that make me feel good about myself or that I want to do that makes the world a nicer place for me to live in. You know, and I, and I think, like you said, taking the focus on, taking the focus off that kind of individualistic idea of self-worth and more about the feeling of just, are you, you know, when you wake up in the morning, do you feel like, oh, cool. I like me. I'm going to get on with my day. You know, and it becomes more of a fleeting passing thought than a than an obsession and a and a major focus you can spend more brain energy on doing other stuff that's better (laughs) it's like i like doing this thing and i need more brain energy to do this thing so i'm going to spend the brain energy i was using to focus on whether or not i loved my stretch marks (laughs) 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 that's where that's where having a purpose makes things so much easier have it, mm, doing something mm. meaningful with your life because if you have yeah. something meaningful to do, especially when it's good for other people, you don't have time to sit around examining yourself. Mm-hmm. And you re- you you receive like love doesn't always just come from a romantic partner; it can come from Absolutely. all kinds of places. Quite mm-hmm. often, it comes from your romantic partner less because you just dig at each other all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's hard being in a relationship, you know. And, and yep. I think if you do if you do live a meaning meaningful life, you know, I, the the most amount of joy and satisfaction that I've have got out of life has all been from you know community based things doing good things f- just for the good of it and not and trying yeah. to remove myself from and, and then and then like for me i remember that boredom used to be the most painful experience i just used <laughs> had to be with people all the time when i was a kid i couldn't mm. be on my own i hated it it was so uncomfortable and now i'm on my own in this room here like almost all of the time but i'm always so busy doing things that i'm barely barely stop you know it's it's and, mm. and i'm totally just ha- like happy all the time doing it but mm. it, you know it's this has been quite a new thing for me i lived a very mm. self-centered self-focused life before that and mm. you know yeah and it, it didn't work it didn't it didn't make me happy yeah. doing the things that yeah. were supposed to make me happy that the world told me would make me happy didn't make me happy yeah. they made me frustrated mm, because it just it, you know it just didn't work so yeah, yeah exactly and that 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 idea of boredom as well that that idea that we have to be constantly engaged to be purposeful or live a worthy life whatever is another thing that annoys me and, and a part of the book this whole the fuck it diet thing a big part of that um getting away from diet culture is allowing yourself to rest and um so one of the things I do try and do, I don't manage it every day, but I do try and do like a short time, 10 minutes of just literally doing nothing, literally resting, just sitting, existing mm. and and allowing myself to, not saying, oh, this is something I should be doing something else. Just go, no, my body needs to rest. That's what I'm going to do. And, and doing it in um, 
in places like down by the down by the lake and stuff and just sitting and watching the birds float by even if it's just five minutes just going you know i'm allowed to just exist i don't have to be busy doing something and creating something or productive and that's that's comes that kind of circles back to the capitalism idea that you have to be productive all the time mm. to be a worthy human being. It's like, well, no, actually, we're allowed to rest too. I guess that's the metrics, isn't it? What what am I trying to achieve? How do I define success? Is being mm. peaceful successful? Is you know, like you know, my 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 personal goals of life are spiritual. That's like so everything mm. goes through that lens, whether it's the work I'm doing in a day or. In reality, if I didn't wake up and and do my meditation every morning and and read from spiritual uh, texts and go to meditation uh, a few times a week with group in a group, I would just be totally obsessed with my work that I did at the computer. I wouldn't be, be I, I wouldn't have that freedom to say I can stop doing this now. I would have to mm. do it. Yeah, I'd be stuck in. Yeah. I'd be stuck in it. I'd be attached to it totally. But the yeah. through meditation, mindfulness association with people who are also in that um in that sphere um i get the freedom to to get away from it and and you know and yeah. in reality quite often I, I i i i wake up and i just start reading today i got out of bed at nine thirty because i just slide in bed <laughs> reading a book and someone i know uh, um the partner of the guy who I live with, his ex-partner, came and dropped off a, a, some stuffed food for the kids at 9.30, and I'm just like in a dressing gown, and I'm just thinking, you lazy bastard. <laughs> but I'm just like, <laughs> well, well, whatever. You know, because I know I'm exactly, going yeah. to work until later, and it's just like, you know. And this is it, and and, and we're, we are often governed by the capitalist structure of the nine-to-five job and the having to be productive at certain times of the day. And I'm hoping that this whole global pandemic has made people realise that that's just unachievable and unsustainable, that we need to be able to work with our natural physical rhythms and our... And it changes every day. There's some days where you feel you get up in the morning and you feel like ah, energized and you want to do stuff and be productive. And there's some times where you don't. You want to lie and read a book till 9.30 and that's okay too. And it's about honoring that natural fluctuation in motivation and fluctuation in, in you know, feeling like you want to do something or whether you want to rest and working with it rather than just constantly fighting it, you know, and... Uh, I think that's, and I think that's another aspect of um, my own sort of journey towards accept, self acceptance and body acceptance as part of it is that acknowledging that I need different things on different days at different times of the day. And while routine is helpful and useful and necessary when I'm part of a capitalist society, it doesn't have to define me and it doesn't have to control me in a negative way i can kind of work around it mm. and still still follow what my body needs through the day and what my mind needs through the day like you know because i do spend a lot of time or used to spend a lot of time berating myself for not doing what i thought i should be doing like you're saying like looking at yourself go oh, you lazy fuck why don't you get up and do the housework it's like because i don't want to do it right now I want to right now, I want to sit and have a coffee and look out the window. And if I let myself do that, 
then 99% of the time after I've done that, I'm like, right, I'm ready. And I get off, get up and do something. But if I fight it, I then I'm miserable and I'm doing the thing that I think I should be doing and I'm unhappy and miserable and the rest of the day is shit because I'm miserable. Mm. It's a very <laughs> it depends situation, isn't it? I mean, it's like, oh, I don't, there's always. nothing wrong with nine yeah. to five. It's, you know, um, it, you know, I don't. I don't enjoy work. <laughs> I think most people would rather not if we couldn't. But the reality is, we have a body and it, it has needs. It needs sheltering. It needs feeding. Our families need yeah. feeding. And you exactly, know, a part yeah. of love is doing what we don't want to do for the good of something bigger than that. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's it. We still have bills to pay. We still yeah. have to. We still have to do these things. But yeah. it's. I think it's more about accepting that as part of a bigger thing, mm. and that. Where possible, yeah, you listen to yourself and think, oh well, I'll 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 do this thing that I'm I've I have a commitment to first that I don't necessarily want to do, but I have made a commitment, so I'll do it, and then I can do what I feel like doing afterwards. So yeah, it's 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 about it's about not fighting it. Basically, it's not constantly fighting with yourself about what you should and shouldn't be doing. I think and berating yourself when you're not doing what you should be doing. Order, it's that whole internal argument that i'm trying to get away from that i found it so hard to get to. i found it so hard to get out of, <laughs> get past that stuff i used oh, to it procrastinate is, it is. with everything everything <laughs> i mean i, I yeah. you know it's made me think from just obviously i agree with what i've said <laughs> you know for me now that's okay because i've managed to pull myself out of that stuff but my god when i was in it it was just procrastinating mm. and like things like hanging out the washing for me was just like this massively overwhelming task like so overwhelming <laughs> and to make myself do it was so much effort but I think you know you do have to be gentle with yourself and I think I think yes. the, the trick is to just not think <laughs> just when the mind's going bah, 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 but you just go no no not now yeah. and it's like bah, 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 no bah, no and then you just and then you just do it and you know you get yeah, you, you get exactly. used to things. You get used to things, don't you? Yeah, and you get into routines and stuff that are, are helpful rather than restrictive. I think, and I think I've I've had to kind of look at myself and go, well, what makes me feel good? What makes me feel like getting out of my chair and doing things that need to be done? I'm like, well, okay, putting on music that I like and dancing around while I'm doing it, and. I started doing it thinking, oh, I just need to be more active. And I thought, then I realized, oh, I'm really quite enjoying this. <laughs> and this is, this is making all the shit jobs seem a lot easier and a lot quicker because I'm having fun. Ha, huh, who'd have thought? <laughs> I'm not like that with cooking. So that's I'm not like that with cooking. I, just, I hate it. I hate cooking. But every time I do it, I'm like, well, I'm quite enjoying myself. <laughs> you know, I'm like, it's actually a pl quite a pleasant experience. I'm like quite relaxed and I just feel like I'm just, yeah, it's cool, cruising. And then to make myself do it, I still hardly ever cook because I hate it. But, um, you know, this is something where I have to apply. I have to apply what we're talking about here and, and yeah. keep, keep, you know, because I keep failing with that and I keep like, right, you're going to start cooking, you're going to learn to cook, it's going to be good. And I keep trying and I keep failing. Same with exercise. I yeah. do a bit and then like I haven't done any for a week at least. And at once every couple of weeks, I manage to do two days in a row or something. And it's just like, but you know, yeah. whatever. Just gonna, I'm just going <laughs> to keep trying, you know. Well, that's it. That's it. It's the, it's the keep, keep trying because every little, every little bit mm. is, is a thing that you've achieved. And that, that whole thing with exercise, I'm really trying to reteach myself about 
joyful movement, which is all part of the, the body acceptance and the health at every size ideas, that you move yourself in ways that make you feel good. And when I've spent so much of my life punishing myself by using exercise, like it has to hurt or it's not, you know, you have to sweat and it has to be a struggle for it to be worthwhile. Changing from that to do this thing because it makes your body feel good. It's really quite a change, you know, and, and I'm teaching myself that it's okay if I just spend five minutes stretching in the morning and do nothing else because that's what felt good. Or, you know, maybe next week I'll go on a, a hike up the, the nearest bush reserve because I feel like it. And allowing yourself to to do what feels good at the moment rather than, yeah, rather than making it a punishment. It's, it's a real change in mindset that I'm still working on, that I want to look after my body. I want to be fit and healthy. I want to be able to do a bloody pull-up because I've never been able to do one in my life. I want upper body strength, but I have to accept that that takes work. But the work isn't a punishment for me not doing work or eating something I think I shouldn't be eating. It's because I want to achieve this thing. And, yeah, changing that mindset is really difficult. I still fight myself over, you should be exercising, you should be doing this. And I'm like, well, I don't want to. I don't like it. Fuck off. Mm. I want to sit on my bum. And then I do it and go, oh, that felt really good. Why don't I do this more often? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's, it's it's a real ingrained part of my whole um disordered eating and and body image stuff that i have to reprogram and i'm still working on it you know i'm trying finding ways of doing exercise and joyful movement that that i feel uh accomplishment and feel satisfaction from rather than feeling like it's a chore that i've got over i've had to do because i've got to do it no, that's what I'm trying to get towards, I'm trying to find something like that. And yeah, part of it's chucking the music on when I do the housework because I end up dancing. The way you feel all day after <laughs> you've done, you know, if you, do a, if you do a really big workout, you kind of feel a little bit rough after and even the day after. But if you just do a really casual, gentle workout, like I've been, you know, going for, I used to do quite a bit of running and run quite far and now I just do a short run. Because A, I can't be bothered mm. to do any more, but B, like I just, I, because I'm, I'm not driven by looking a certain way. Like I used to run really far yeah. to look a certain way. And, you know, I had to do that. That was kind of like obsessive. Now I can't be bothered, but I go out and mm. do a little bit of run because I know it's good for my health. <laughs> so I just do a little bit and I do yeah, a little exactly. bit and like I don't smash my knees and like, and, and, that, and then I feel, but the way you feel all day after you've done gentle exercise is like, you just feel great. Mm. You just like, you're into it. And then yeah. the next day you're not wrecked either. So it's just like that. Just a yeah. bit, just a little bit. It's kind of like just health maintaining exercise. Not, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a far different relationship with exercise to what I used to have. It's harder to that, do it yeah, because I'm not it. obsessed. It's that but, maintenance, it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. Because, uh, yeah, I feel differently every morning. Like some mornings I wake up and I want to do, I want to just um, get on with the day and stick the music on and dance around the living room. And other days I'm like, oh, no, I feel like I need to stretch out a bit. So I'll do a, a, some yoga for 20 minutes. Yeah, and, and allowing yourself that you do what you need at the time because you know what's going to feel better afterwards. You know, if that's a gym workout, it's a gym workout. If it's not, that's all good too, you know. And 
and focusing on how it makes you feel as well, that whole self-awareness of how you're feeling. And that, that connects to the, the intuitive eating that I'm trying to follow, yeah. the whole listening to my body, like what feels good. Like when I do this particular stretch, that feels particularly good because that I spend a lot of time sitting down. So stretching out my spine is really pleasant. Mm. So I do more of that. Yeah. You know, I think, I think ed education is education's really important and getting and getting real knowledge because if you research say yoga for example uh, and you actually look into like the what it actually does for you the health benefits um you know what it does for the body and the mind and, and how it moves the chi around the body the life brown around your body and it you know it just wakes you up all the other things it actually does for you good for your mm. joints good for everything you know, when obviously not when done obsessively, but when when you do just to help <laughs> help benefits of doing it, it's kind of like, mm. and then you can get that relationship with like, oh, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this mm. healthy thing for my body, because obviously mm. with, with with kind of like obsessive mind, uh, mentalities, we find lots of information that we quite often don't find it. We probably invent it and tell ourselves these mm. stories that it needs to be this way. And it's like not true. So actually learning mm. what's true, I think it's um, maybe not always necessarily, but can be really helpful. Mm. Mm. And I think, um, yeah, just learning what works for you as well. What, what feels good, what, you know, and looking at realistic kind of outcomes, what, what do you want to achieve? So I want my body to be healthy and to live as long as possible so that I can do the things that I want to do with my life. So in order to do that, I have to feed it properly. I have to give it lots of sleep and I have to take it to the doctor when it gets sick and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's, and it, yeah, and it all comes down to that looking after yourself because, that's something that makes you feel good and it's not something that you have to do that you're compelled to do you know I, I i tell myself quite a lot i don't have to do this if i don't want to and then i'll then i'll go but i do want to okay cool and, and it's it's that allowing myself to have a choice in the matter tends and tends to make me choose the things that are better for me these days you know giving myself the choice and giving myself flexibility makes me feel like I'm not constantly on the defensive and on the and under attack by other stuff that I have to defend against. It's really interesting what you just said there. Like I, I, I've been someone who just avoids going to the hospital or doctors and stuff like that because I kind of feel like if if I if I take it seriously, I make it real and then there's a problem. Psychologically mm. I just ignore it with this just like, oh it'll be all right attitude. And that's kind of mm. like that's that selfish mindset, you know, where it's kind of like, oh, I don't, I want to avoid that. I don't want to deal with it, you know. Mm. And then the body suffers because of I don't want to deal with it because I don't want to do the uncomfortable mm. work. I don't want to do the emotional work. It's effort. Mm. I'm late. I, you know, I feel. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to use that word because it's not necessarily a good word. But I don't want <laughs> to do it, you know. And um, yeah, like as part of me becoming more self caring, when my body has a problem, just go straight to the doctor now. Mm. and yeah. that's me that's like a sign of for me it was a sign of maturity and, and actually mm. making some progress being like yeah because i was in reality just scared that there would be bad news or something but in reality if there's bad news yeah. you need to deal with it you know so it's like yeah um, exactly you've yeah. got to deal with it exactly and i think that that was all part and parcel of my uh my mental illnesses or my depression that 
recognizing that the, the depression symptoms were literally that they were symptoms of chemical imbalance in my brain and that they needed dealing with. And because I still know if I forget to take my medication, I, they come back and I have to keep reminding myself that this is, this is not who you really are. This is, chemicals going bonkers in your brain go take your meds mm. <laughs> and and um oh what was the other thing i was thinking of oh yeah um i i got assessed for sleep apnea a few years a couple of years ago now um purely by by chance because i'd gone to the doctor about migraines which i thought was purely hormonal which they are but that's a different story and the doctor asked about my sleep at the time and my husband was with me and my husband said oh yeah she snores and she does sometimes stop breathing in her sleep um and the, the so the doctor went okay you're gonna go test her for sleep apnea and my initial feeling about it was that I associated sleep apnea with people being overweight people being big and I had this internal phobia of it the whole fat phobia thing of like Ah, uh, I'm fat, therefore I've got sleep apnea and it's just a terrible thing and I wanted to resist it. But I also knew that I ought to get checked anyway, regardless, and look after my body, like you're saying, taking that maturity and going, no, this is something that I need to deal with. Got assessed, found out that I've got sleep apnea and I've probably had it since I was a teenager, based on the symptoms, and then came home with a, a machine, a CPAP machine, that I now wear every night to sleep in. I look ridiculous. But the first night I slept with this this mask, which delivers oxygen. And when your when your um, breathing stops, it forces air into your lungs, basically, so it stops you not breathing. I had the best night's sleep that I've had since I was a child, and it was just mind blowing how much better I felt mm. the next morning. And it's just continued to be part of my physical health recovery getting decent sleep has just been so life-changing you know I notice when I don't I notice if I have to go somewhere I can't take my machine with me and I have to I have a shitty night's sleep and it affects everything it affects physically how I feel in my body it affects my mental state it affects the food that I eat because I just look for the thing that's going to keep me awake and now I'm getting better sleep and taking care of that I've accepted the fact that this is something that I have that I'll have forever, the same as the depression, and I'd have to take care of it. I have to look after myself and use the machine and take my medication, and that's part of self-care. And and it's all – and I remind myself when I when I feel a bit uh, about it, I'm like, well, look how much better you feel about everything most of the time. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> Just reminding myself, like, this is a good thing. Taking care of yourself is a good idea. You should keep doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems so simple, but we resist it so much. You know, the mind. I don't the mind's want to. a tricky thing. <laughs> it's a tricky thing. Yeah, we've done an hour and a half. Um, yeah, it's been a it's been a been great a chat. chat. Have you got anything you'd like to add? Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Just, yeah, just I, I think one of the, the key messages I want to give people is that life is not static. Life is not something that there is an end point and that's when you're going to be happy, that you get there 
and that's when it all comes together. It's like that. The whole purpose of it is the journey and the learning on the way and the change that you go through and the things that you experience and enjoy it. Enjoy the journey. Awesome. Thank you so much, Louise. Is there anything that you think uh, would be good for people to check out um, the, the movie uh, Embrace? Uh, or yeah, the movie is called Embrace by Taryn Brumfit. I think um, you can probably get it online. I'm not sure it's available online. And I do know that they do do they do sometimes host uh, allow you to host showings, which is what I did, where you can um, get a cinema on board to do a showing that you sell tickets for, and it can often be done as a fundraiser. The other thing I'd recommend is the the Health at Every Size Network, which is about um, taking care of your physical health regardless of the size or shape of the body that you have and learning to yeah take care of yourself physically and mentally and um and getting away from the diet industry and the other thing was the fuck it diet by caroline duna yeah (laughs) yeah. that was my introduction (laughs) to intuitive eating and um yeah looking after yourself and and getting away from that toxic diet industry and that toxic obsession with physical appearance but also the fact that you know it's it's an ongoing thing that I'm never going to be 100% free from but I'm always going to be aware of but that's okay that's part of it too Awesome, Louise. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been uh, it's been really interesting, and um, yeah, I look forward to cool. seeing you back at school. <laughs> yeah, another couple of weeks. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Cheers. <laughs>